Hello, I'm Rabin Bacon, and we are Success Across Boundaries, a group of individuals tapping into the experiences of expats, their success stories, and key learnings for fostering future cross-cultural exchange. This podcast is sponsored by Relosophy, relocation and growth solutions in Germany for active global citizens. You can find them on therelosophy.com. Next up is Rita Santos, who works as a VP for Computational Biology at Omicure in Paris. So please, can you start by telling us a few words about yourself and your current professional engagements? So my name is Rita, I'm Portuguese, I'm a computational biologist who loves traveling, so it shouldn't become as a surprise that I've lived in 10 different countries so far, mostly due to my professional choices. I currently live in France, where I'm the vice president of computational biology in a small startup called Omicure. Omicure, in a nutshell, is a digital health company working in precision oncology. So we do a lot of tumor profiling analysis, and basically we match patients to therapies based on the mutations that you know what we can find in their tumors. And do you find France to be a good place for medical startups? Because of course, Doctor Lab comes from France as well, so people are. So the government has invested a little bit, you know, over the last years into mm-hmm. creating the necessary environments for a lot of med tech, biotech, uh, deep tech as well, you know, to mm-hmm. um, to start up. And you can see the fruits of those investments starting to be. So there is a lot of startups right now in digital health, I would say. Um, Paris around Paris, so it's it's a good hub to be in right now. Cool. And how do you see the different phases of your career, especially across so many different countries? Mm-hmm. So I kind of think it is like a three phase. So the first one, like intensive study, uh, very much you know about getting my bachelor, my master, my PhD done. Um, very you know goal-oriented i needed to get these degrees to get the job that i wanted and a second phase more around getting the first job in industry so when i joined gsk after my phd um it was very much about you know this is the job i want i'm interested in working in drug discovery first job in pharma but it was a phase where i was still learning a lot about what i wanted what it meant to be a computational biologist in the industry job security was important so it was a phase of you know yes i can do this job then you know let's see what's possible to do now i'm more in a phase where i call it the adventurous phase i know i can do this job i know i can get jobs so i'm ready for more risky endeavors so you know like working at a startup where i can be you know maybe this way i'm more comfortable being outside my zone of comfort i'm like ready to be bold and take more risks uh, in, in my career and Two jobs that 10 years ago, it would seem equally exciting, but I would be too scared to try. And has there been quite a difference in work culture from not just moving from England to France, but moving from GSK, which is like, you know, one of the biggest companies in the world to to a startup? Absolutely. Big, big differences for sure. You have, of course, the cultural differences, you know, between the the, the UK and and France for sure. But I would say I noticed the biggest difference is indeed the size of the company. Thousands of people company to just, you know, three people. 
that is a huge difference. You get more opportunities to try tasks and roles that you would have someone assigned in a big company to, you know, I can, because there's no one around to do it. You just have to get away and do it. So it has the advantage that you get exposed to a lot of things that you wouldn't even consider. Uh, so for example, you know, in digital health, uh, whenever you develop a product, it's very important that they get CE marketing, marking before you can actually sell them so you get exposed to all the documentation that you have to have around that product you know in order to actually get the necessary iso labels to sell it in the european union for example but you don't have the typical lawyers or the experts in writing these type of documentations that you know when i was at jsk i could just you know call the right department to please help me so you know in here you have much more the we have to do it let's read as much as we can you know, let's do as much as we can. And then, you know, we may have to just hire some consultancies at, at the end to make it, you know, perfect, of course, but you get exposed to more jobs than, than you would do. So there's, there's a lot of that like can-do attitude. On the other hand, you're small, which means resources are a constraint. You have to be very focused and very disciplined uh, to say, this is what we're going to try to achieve this year because we would love to do everything, but you know, we cannot. While in a bigger company, you had a bigger group of people. So in some ways, certain projects would move faster and the others, they would move slower. So what I also noticed a big difference is in a small company, you can make decisions much quick. In a big company, it takes a little bit longer because you know you may have to involve several departments before you can you know, have all the nice information necessary to make the right decision. And what have been three to four key learnings from your personal story? So I think for me, what always helps is I try new things and see what worked for me. So for example, you know, when I finished my master in, in Netherlands, I was in love with computational work and I felt I can do any job provided it's computational. And uh, when I did a small internship in Croatia afterwards, you know, while I was deciding where do I wanted to go next, it was a very theoretical work and I just came to realize this is definitely not for me. You know, I'm an applied research person. I need to know why I'm waking up in the morning to go to this job. Uh, there has to be a tangible impact to the society somehow to, to what I do. So that was you know, very important, but it was equally important that I tried and I knew for myself it's, it's not who I am. The other learning, I guess, is, you know, life is around is a lot about serendipity. Mm-hmm. as in what you cannot control but it's very important that you're proactive and that you're open to opportunities when they knock on your door i think that i found that very helpful as well you know when i wanted something keep applying rely on your network to ask around you know ooh, you know i would like to do an internship in industry what are the options you know what have i not considered and that you know, definitely helped uh, uh, push the boundaries a little bit on what's possible as well. Um, I also found it very useful to get guidance and inspiration from my mentors. And I was very likely to have several throughout my career so far. I particularly remember like calling my PhD supervisor after five years at JSK thinking, John, I'm not entirely sure what do I do after? Do I continue? Do I explore some of the opportunities they are providing me internally? What do you think? And, you know, he just went through 
is reflections of his careers, what he would have done differently. And that conversation was incredibly, you know, inspirational for me to know, okay, changing is good. And then I guess the last thing as well, this is a very practical, but it may not work for everyone, but I found it very helpful for me as well, is whenever I go to interviews in the different, you know, phases of my career, you know, my interview to get my PhD, uh, to enter my PhD program and interview to get my first job and so on and so forth. I always make notes of, you know, how I prepared for those interviews or what the questions I asked at the time. So when a couple of years later, I'm ready for, you know, a new challenge and I go through another interview process, I go back to those notes and I can say, wow, okay, I've changed. I've, uh, I've improved and that's a huge boost of confidence you know to show that I am moving forward and have there been any moments of struggle in your professional life and how did you overcome them I suppose you know you always have those moments where you know you're not so confident that you're doing a good job or you know you're suddenly in a project where it's very difficult to work with the people that have been assigned to that project you know you have conflicts of personalities. In those situations, what has worked for me was to take a bit of time out, realize, you know, look, okay, maybe you did not do this job so well. What can you learn from it? You know, there's always something that we can always learn. And go and speak with people who have worked with you in the past, who know you, know your capabilities, and maybe they can provide a, perspe- a different perspective to what you're seeing right now. So very particularly, for example, when you know I had a bit of some struggles with working with in a new matrix team, it was just went back to some of my line managers or mentors and you know describe the situation and ask very specifically, you know, what do you think I should do? You know, what are the tools? And you know they were quite practical in saying, you know, let's try these racing matrix tool for example you know so that you it's very easy to define the roles of responsibilities of each team member and that may decrease the clash of the personality that is happening right now because clearly the issue we were having is you know you had a very vocal person in the team and you were not able to actually you know hear everyone else around it so having that support system was was quite helpful. And has it ever been tough to balance your professional versus personal life? And do you think there are any specific ways to overcome those challenges? So luckily, so far, it hasn't been very tough to balance the two. I would say my professional goals were always very, you know, a key part of my personal goals. And before, you know, I haven't yet been in a situation where I had to sacrifice one over the other. However, what I really find helpful is, you know, to make sure I can continue to be creative and productive at work, that I make a hard line between the two in the sense, you know, I can hard, you know, work hard and dedicate myself to my job. But after, you know, 6 or 7 p.m., depending on the day and you know, what needs to be done, that's it. I disconnect completely and I have proper me time. You know, I take time to be out with my friends, to go to a theater, you know, to, to go to my French class. That is incredibly important for me because otherwise I, I can continue being productive. So I'm not a believer of working crazy weak hours. I think it's very important to you know, have time to rest, recharge, re-energize so that, you know, you're back out there again and do your best in your professional life as well. 
And how difficult is it to be learning French? Do you need to use it quite a lot in Paris, or is there many English-speaking people around? In Paris, I think you can survive with actually just knowing English. Um, the, I was actually surprised, you know, like for some official things, uh, like having to fill in taxes or getting your social security number. The French government actually has dedicated uh, phone lines that where they speak in English if you have questions and, and need help. So that was like, wow, okay, we've come a long way from the stereotype I had in, in mind, at least. At work, of course, you know, the language is, the official language of the company is English. There are some particularities where I, you know, I would recommend people to, to, to learn French for sure. I definitely find it very useful for social life, but also some of the day-to-day, -day, if you are planning to stay long-term, is more helpful if, if you know the language. So for example, you know, your contract is going to be in French, mm -hmm. you know, because that's just the law. So of course you can have someone reading, double-checking, interpreting, make sure it's fine, but you have to sign that document in French. So it, it may be feel a little bit more comfortable than what you're signing. And then on the social life, it, it's up to you, you know, you can have a very just expat-oriented life and you have a lot of students and a lot of professionals who are coming here and you know they just speak English and that's fine or you can invest a little bit more which I would recommend because then you get to to um, you know the real French culture I would say because you can then enjoy the, the theaters the bohemian life as well you know but in Paris itself there are a lot of Portuguese people and people of Portuguese descent, right? So there is a like unity there already, right? Yes, that's true. Although I haven't explored it in detail, so I cannot really speak much for it. But there are cafes around, so if I want to have a, a Portuguese custard tart, I don't know if you know them, but they are <laughs> delicious. There is one just in the right in the center of Paris, which is, is very good. And so to circle a bit back to your education, why do you see it's relevant to your current professional engagements and also for the future? Well, so as a scientist, I think, you know, my, my formal education is, is key for what I do. You know, there's a what I need to know about biology, biochemistry, oncology, bioinformatics. So I think without the formal education I had, I think it would be very challenging to do the technical job that I do. So I see my bachelor and master as the minimum that I would require. My PhD, you can definitely do my job without one. It may become a little bit harder nowadays depending on, on the companies, but actually there's still a few companies who have a lot of good graduate programs to train people on the job. But anyway, so my PhD, uh, it was an opportunity for me to get deeper in the technical skill but mostly what I gained from it was independence and critical thinking, which helps quite a lot hitting the ground running when I joined GSK, for example. And even nowadays, you know, um, that there's still, you know, a lot of the skills that I've picked up then that I use nowadays. My PhD also helped me getting a little exposed more on the soft skills because, you know, we were also required to organize some teaching modules, some conferences. So that gets you a flavor of things to come in the future, responsibilities that will land on your door without you necessarily asking. It comes very handy to know how to be in a team, how to lead the team, a few project management skills that you can, you know, of course, then continue afterwards in the job. So I find it very critical for what I do in 
still useful for the future because I, I do a very technical job. I think if it was not a technical job, there's still a lot of transferable skills that you can get from it. But if in the future I wanted to go more into full strategy or business, I may require to, to go back to school and learn some of those things or just, you know, going on the job as well. And which skills have helped you to navigate both international and local environments? I think the most important was being flexible and open-minded. Try not to judge different costumes. Try not to not to attribute a sense of good or bad. Just technology is different from what you used to. That has made a huge difference, you know, in, in all the countries that I've lived in. And what do you think are some of the toughest and easiest parts of living as an expat? And do you have any sort of tools that kind of help across very different environments, for example, from the USA to, to France, for example? So the toughest for me is, you know, you, you're away from family and friends. And if it's the first time you're in a country and you don't know anyone, the first months can be a little bit lonely. Luckily nowadays, you know, we have a lot of, you know, tech tools that allows us to just mm-hmm. be with everyone, even participate in certain events at a distance. So that helps definitely a lot and within Europe you always steal a train or a plane right away as well you know to give a hug if things really become um if you really really miss everyone um so that's one angle I guess on on the toughest uh the other which is like half um you almost need to throw away your cultural and society references out of the door because what was polite in one country may not necessarily translate to the other country so assume nothing that's one key learning that i also took from these experiences you know just ask around even if it's the most basic questions uh, it's best to ask and make the wrong assumption on how to you interact with neighbors, get a doctor appointment, uh, how you weight your fruits in a supermarket, you know, that that's changes dramatically as well. Uh, between, but, and then, but at the same time, it's also the exciting of being in a new environment, right? You know, the thrill of uh, learning almost everything from scratch. Being exposed to the traditions of the culture, the country where you are, you know, I I have very fond memories of being in Netherlands and uh, leaving the Sinterklaas and exchanging the chocolate letters uh, with the group where I was doing an internship at the time. Um, or, you know, being in Croatia, being invited to my friend's house and everyone would give me uh, the grandma's recipes for the national biscuits uh, called uh, peaches or in Nigeria I was invited to one of their family houses and they offered me to try fried grasshoppers and boiled yam not because you know it was their traditional their their normal day-to-day meal but uh, because you know I've asked to experience what a a poor family would, would eat sometimes and it was a wonderful experience both humbling and, and delicious um, so to answer your question what are the specific tools I would use uh, you know, um, I don't think I have a sp- particular one is really just you know being flexible open-minded and then things natural will fall into place you're going to make mistakes accept that, apologize, move on, next time we'll do better. And 
Do you have a mantra for success? Never stop winning and adapting. And finally, do you have some words for future aspiring youth? I'd say ask as many questions to mentors, family, teachers, anyone who inspires you about their career choices, what they would have done differently, why they've made the choices they did. That could give them you know, ideas for what would work for you. If you can, be exposed to different career paths. Try to have as many experiences as you can before you commit to a few options. Once in a while, challenge if that's still what you want to do. You know, I remember a teacher in Netherlands who used to say, oh, I need to change job every seven years, otherwise I get bored. And he would really change radically from one business to, to another. So be bold in your choices, you know, pick something that works for you. And if you don't know where to start, I encourage you to go through a work value exercise. They're incredibly simple, but very insightful. Hopefully you can identify what inspires you. That was Rita Santos, and this is Success Across Boundaries with me, Reverend Bacon. Please tune in next time to see who we will talk to next.